0: Turn with me this morning once again to First Peter. We're in First Peter chapter 3 here this morning. We're hanging out around verse 15 for a little while. It's a very, very significant. And I desire both to convict us and to encourage us. Oftentimes those things go together. When the Lord manifests our sins or our lack of commitment, He's always doing that to call us to a higher level. He's doing that not to discourage us, but saying that we can do better, and here's how we can do better. There's some challenging things in this verse uh, for us about our responsibilities to share the gospel with others and defend the gospel. So um, let's see, verses 14 through 17, I think I'll just read those again here this morning as, as we start. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats, but sanctify or set apart the Lord Christ in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. Having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is a will of God, to suffer for doing what is good than for doing evil. All right, so in regard to responding to those who may be hostile to us because we are Christians, Peter exhorts us to not only return good for evil, but he also exhorts us to be ready to give a reasoned defense of the hope that is in us and to do so with gentleness and respect. So here we are, being perhaps mistreated, being perhaps spoken against, And we are to return blessing instead of cursing. And we're even to go beyond that if we have an opportunity and explain what our hope is. What it is and why it is reasonable. That's what we're called to do. That's a high calling. But every Christian is able to do this. Is able to mature and be able to do this. So... This text contains four very significant instructions for us. We considered two last week. First was, do not be afraid or troubled. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord Christ in your hearts. See, the fear of man is to be overcome by setting Christ as Lord in our hearts. That's the connection we must live with Christ as our Lord, then we will be able to not be afraid or troubled when the threats and the hostilities come. It's not something you can just suddenly... If you're not living with Christ as your Lord in your attitude in your life, and the hostilities come, you can't just turn it on right then. No. (laughs) If you're not living what He says with Christ set apart in your heart as Lord, if that isn't the way you consciously cultivate your life, that will prepare you, you see, for when the challenge to that comes. That's his advice. Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. And learn to live that way. And then... You'll not be afraid of their threats when when they come. And they will come in one way or another. So the fear of man is to be overcome by setting apart Christ as Lord in our lives. Now we also consider the second matter that was significant. All of us here are always to be ready to defend our hope. Always. Look at that term in the text. Be ready to give a defense. Always, verse 15, one who asks you to be ready. Be ready to everyone who asks you to give a defense. So Peter's concerned that believers be able to defend our hope in Christ. That's what he's concerned about. That we are able to do that And we are able to do that humbly and respectfully to anyone who might ask us whether they be hostile or non-hostile, that we always be ready. This being ready to defend is not a professional guild. We have men that are professional apologists and we're grateful for them. And actually, they kind of help equip us actually to do what this text tells us. We're we're very grateful for that. But what he's referring to here is not the professional apologist, but every believer in Christ. That's who he's referring to. It's all of us. We're all called to do this. As J. Michael says, "...Peter sees his readers as being on trial every day as they live for Christ in a pagan society." You know, the trial motif there is always be ready to give a defense. That's the trial motif. You're brought into court and you have to defend yourself. That's why he's, he's playing off of that. Believers are on trial as we follow Christ in a pagan society. I mean, that's just, that's the way it is. And Jesus, of course, taught that if you're gonna follow him, if you're gonna believe in him, that's what you're to expect. If they've hated me and called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more are they gonna do the same to you? You know, just be ready and expect that. Now granted, right, this is for everyone, some people are particularly gifted in this area, okay? Not everyone has the specific gift of evangelism or outreach. Some people do. And we're grateful for them. And at the same time, we're not going to bind all of your consciences to be like that person who's particularly gifted in this area. You know, we have to have some balance here. But we can learn from the example of those who are particularly gifted. Like, man, you know, you guys ended up talking about Christ in 30 seconds. You know, how did you do that? You know, how how did you do that? I'd like to do that too. You know, so, so we all have this responsibility. There are some that are particularly gifted in that way. And in a healthy church, we need all the different gifts to go. Now, one of the problems with us is we think our gift is the most important one. <laughs> and we think everything in the church will be fixed if we just do this one thing right, you know. If we could just get husbands to do what they're supposed to do, everything in this church will be fixed. Okay, We think that, that's our that's great. Husbands, we need to do, you need to do what you need to do. Or if we would just teach doctrine right, everything else would be fixed. Or if we would just do evangelism, everything else would be fixed. Or if we would just take care of the widows and the elders, everything else would be fixed. Well, no. We need all of those gifts and all of those things in the exercise. The the church has a pretty high calling, doesn't it? I'm not done with the list. I could keep going of what the church is called to do. And obviously, the people that we have evangelized, it's been no one person that has evangelized them. Most of the converts in this church It's been a team effort. It absolutely is. I would never have had the opportunity to preach to many of you if others hadn't brought you here. It's a team effort. So on the one hand, we don't want to say only the professionals do evangelism. We want to encourage all of you to do this. But on the other hand, we don't want to put you on a guilt trip, okay? (laughs) You know, how many people have you witnessed to in the last week? We don't want to do that either we wanna function with our different gifts and opportunities and they all need to be an exercise so we're on this one that's very important is that we all be ready and able to make this defense why we have this hope so I wanted to think talk a little more this morning before we switch to the matter of hope about this always being ready you see we don't know when someone will make that comment to us or make that comment about us. We don't know when that will happen, whether that's good or bad comment or when someone will question our behavior, but they will. And the question is, will we be ready? Most of our evangelistic opportunities can't be planned. I know it's good if you want to go through the neighborhood. Some of our men in the Spanish church have done that. I have did that years ago, sometimes, a few times And, you know, you plan, or some churches say, well, on Tuesday evening we're going to do our visitation. That's all good, but most of your opportunities about the gospel and to share it are not going to be planned. (laughs) They're just going to pop up by God's providence in whatever situation you're in. And you're to be ready to do it. I can remember a time I don't like talking about. Myself, very much, but examples are helpful. I can remember one of the engineers working for me. His name was Mark Glenn. He was a very bright, he a great engineer. Uh, paid him a lot of money, but he was worth it. <laughs> okay. I can remember we, we, were out, we were out doing lunch, and, and, and we're on this project, and, and he's working for me this. And he says to me, he goes, you know, nothing ever seems to bother you. Hey? Now, that's not true, but, but that's what he said. Nothing ever seems to bother you. All right, what am I gonna do? Am I ready or not? What am I gonna do? Am I gonna tell him why? And absolutely, I told him why, nothing ever seems to bother me. Jesus is Lord, that has the most everything to do with it. <laughs> He's Lord of everything. See, that's one of those opportunities. It's just gonna come up. And and a lot of times they'll come up because People will know there's something different about you. There's something different about you. I noticed that we were all laughing at that ungodly joke the other day, and you didn't laugh. Now, that might bring hostility down on you, all right? You know, but I notice every time we do that, every time we have our laughs, you know, you don't. Why is that? See, there it is. Boom. It's just, it's just popped up. Are, are we ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll go I'll go a step further about always being ready to, to do this. Do we pray for such opportunities? Do we pray for such opportunities? You know, the apostle Paul asked the Colossians to pray for him. That God would what? Open the door for him. So we'll go a little further now. Do we pray for opportunities like that? We really should. It's on our monthly prayer list under the heading of Outreach and Evangelism. It's right there. It's the first thing on the list. It's never taken off the list to pray for those kinds of opportunities. And that's about almost all you have to do. You know, you can be more aggressive than that. Maybe those that are gifted will stir those opportunities up. That's fine too. But we can all pray for those opportunities and you see if God doesn't give them to you. And you want to be ready when that happens. And that's what this text is about. Peter's urging us to be ready to give that defense when that happens. So how are we always ready? Well, obviously, what we've already considered is that we're living with Christ As our Lord. That's how to be ready. And uh, living with Christ as our Lord in our hearts is a significant part of always being ready. And if you live that way, you'll be different, you see. And by being different, because you you won't lie, you won't do these other things, if you live with His Lordship over your life, you will be different. (laughs) And that, of course, will occasion the opportunities. So, that's the first thing. The second thing is what comes up in this text is, since we are to be giving a defense to everyone who asks us for a reason for the hope that is in you, this living hope needs to be operating in our lives. And you see, it's actually that living hope, in this example, that has caused someone to ask you about this. You see, so in order to be ready and have those opportunities, we have to have our hope on display. We have to have it. (laughs) We have to have this living hope. And that will make you different. Just like the Lordship of Christ will make you different, guess what? This living hope that he is talking about, and the rest of our message is going to be on this, this living hope will make us different from unbelievers. It will make us observably different. And that's the context here. Peter says, they're going to ask you, you see, they're going to ask you for a reason for this hope. So cultivate this Christian hope has to be cultivated. And it will affect the way we live. And it will attract others to the gospel. At least enough to find out, what's with you? <laughs> okay? So that's the second thing of always being ready. Cultivate this living hope. Practical matters uh, Practical matters about being ready is knowing Scripture... To explain the person and the work of Christ. Do you know the gospel well enough? Do you know scripture well enough to be able to really explain who Jesus is? And you don't have to be a theologian to do that. And you don't have to prove to everybody that's true. You just have to declare Jesus is You know, the two Advents are pretty good, okay? Jesus is the Son of God. He came into our world, took on human nature in order to save us from death and sin. And He obeyed all of God's commandments and God is holy and just and sin really is never forgiven. Someone has to pay for it. And Jesus is here to pay for our sin and satisfy God's justice. And so God can pour His love out upon us. You know, are you ready? Can you do that? And, and I'm not trying to convict you. I'm just encouraging you to be able to do that. And what you say, of course, is going to be different depending on what person it is, but do you know Scripture well enough and and the Word of God? And the Word of God is powerful, And, and I won't make the standard too high, but I wish that every Christian could, with Bible in hand alone, open it up and share the gospel. That's my goal. I'll tell you, that's my goal for you is that you have two or three passages, four or five passages, not just one or two individual verses, that you have four or five paragraphs out of the New Testament that at any time you can turn to, and let's just read Romans chapter 3, and I'll explain the gospel to you. Let's just read the parable of the prodigal son. Okay? And let's just read it through. I'll explain why I have hope. Let's read about the parable of the prodigal son. And you just start and you expose people to the word of God and you just go through it. Now, that's a high goal. Maybe it shouldn't be. Now, I'm not down on tracks, okay? Oh, he doesn't. No, I, I give tracks to people. I make sure, like, if sometimes I give them food out of the kitchen, I'll give them a tract. That's fine too. That's good. Now, actually, if you can do both, if you can explain a paragraph of scripture and say, now you know, why don't you read this also and send that home with them? Now, that's even better if you, you when you've done both, right? That's even better. So, you know, to be ready, think about being ready. What what does it take for you to be ready? Think about that. Do we understand the unbelievers thinking well enough to be able to reason with them? You know, you want to get stronger in this matter, you've got to... Okay, I know how certain unbelievers think. And I know how the Word of God addresses that thinking. And so what you want to do is is you want to use the Word of God to address the thinking of an unbeliever. And you got to think about how to do that, you know, and somewhat maybe prepare how to do that. And, And that means you're going to have to get to know your unbelieving friends. That's right. You know take some time to get to know your unbelieving friends. You know, don't you don't have to shove the gospel down their throat the first time you invite them into your house. You might you don't know. Just just get to know your unbelieving friends a little bit. And and that that will show you how they're thinking. So all of these things are, you know, being ready and and working at being being ready. Here's a very practical one. Can you direct people to visit your church by directing them to visit our website? There you go. Can you do that? Where do most people visit church first in our culture? Where do they visit it? On the website. That most people in our culture their first visit to a church is not in a building. It's on the net. The website or the Facebook page? That's, in our culture, that is our people's first visit to a quote-unquote church. We even use that terminology. Visit our website, right? Visit our Facebook page. I mean, that's a very practical thing, but, but, you know, you'll have opportunities often to direct people toward the church's website. So those are different ways, some suggestions about always being ready, but knowing the Scriptures the most. And and like I said, I wanted to develop that section further uh, so you're getting it kind of rough cut, unfinished. Now what we are to be ready to do is this. We're to be ready to give a defense for everyone who asks us a reason for the hope that is in us. So, before we consider giving a defense, we need to think about what, is, what it is we are called to defend. What are we called to defend? Peter tells us, the hope that is in us, that's what we're called to defend. Obviously, it's got to be in you, to begin with, if you're going to defend it. But what we're called to defend is the hope that is in us. We are defending our experience of a living hope. That is that we are confident of good, of great things to come. That's what hope is. We exude a certainty that God will land us in the promised land in a new heavens and a new earth. We ooze that certainty out of us because we have hope. We are not like the ten unbelieving Israelite leaders who after they spied out the land gave a bad report and wanted to turn back to Egypt. That's not how we live. No, we are like Caleb and Joshua who believe God, saying things like, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Confidence. They're exuding this confidence. They also said this, If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into the land and give it to us. They had no doubt. Caleb and Joshua had no doubt. That their God would bring them into the land and give it to us. That's hope. That's that exuding of confidence in what God has covenanted or promised to do. The difference between Caleb and Joshua and the other ten, Caleb and Joshua believed in the covenantal promise of God To them. He is their God. Okay. They are his people. And God had promised Abraham. To give his descendants. This land. And Caleb and Joshua had a living hope. They believed that with all their might. Okay. He will give it to us. He will bring us into this land. And give it to us. This Christian confidence is in strong contrast with the world's despair or nagging uncertainty. You think there's a heaven? Well, maybe, maybe not, maybe, maybe not. Nagging uncertainty. The best hope the world has is a nagging uncertainty. Maybe yes, maybe no. But that's not the Christian hope. The Christian exudes this confidence and certainty. Caleb and Joshua had biblical better. They had covenantal hope. Listen, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. And where in the world did they get that idea? (laughs) From God's covenantal promises in Abraham to them. That's where they got that idea. They are believing in God's promise expressed in the Abrahamic covenant. Now, not only do we have this certainty, this certainty kind of hope, but we experience this hope even though now for a little while, if need be, we have been grieved by various trials. As Peter said in 1 Peter 1.6, didn't he? He said, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, even though now you are distressed by various trials. So the Christian on display, distressed by various trials, is still, what, oozing out this hope. That's that's what it is. That's hope. And neither are we out of our minds, irrational, or creating some fictitional fantasy in our minds like a psychological drug. Okay? That's what the world is going to think. They're crazy. You're, you're crazy. I mean, they're in a make-believe land that they created themselves. That's, that's what they're going to say. When they see you suffering and having this absolute certainty of hope, They can't explain. They're going to try to explain that. And and they want to explain it away from the gospel, of course. (laughs) But that's this, this hope. And you see, worship, and this is an experience. This is, doctrine's important, but look at this text. This is not saying we're defending a doctrine. Now, we need doctrine to do this. This is saying we're defending our experience of hope. We live and experience this wonderful hope, and it is rational and it is correct. But we are defending, we are giving a rational explanation for what we are experiencing, which is hope. Think about that. That's what we're doing. We are experiencing this amazing hope, and we're going to give a rational and theological explanation of that experience of this certainty that God is going to land us in glory. Now, we have to go further though. We're not out of our minds or irrational. So let's continue by considering further the hope, let's be more specific, the hope that is in us. When we read our New Testaments we realize that the hope that Peter is referring to is the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the hope. We're in Christmas season, the second advent. <laughs> We've been seeing about the first advent, and our hope is the second advent, that Jesus Christ is coming for us again. That's our hope. His second advent. Peter already defined this hope that way in chapter 1 verse 13 where we were exhorted to rest your hope completely upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's it. He says take all of your hope All of it. (laughs) And rest it completely on the second advent. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Rest all of your hope on that future event and promise of God. Just as the land of promise in the Abrahamic covenant was promised to those ethnic descendants of Abraham, Caleb, and Joshua. Move that forward. We're in the new covenant there's a new heavens and earth promised, wherein dwells righteousness to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ at that second advent. He will surely give it to us, just like Caleb and Joshua said. He will surely, he will give it to us. That's right. That's our hope. That's the center. Rest it fully upon what the revelation at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This hope distinguishes the Christian from most people around him. We have a special, unique hope. And these Christians, they have a special, unique hope, and they are so certain about it. (laughs) That distinguishes us. That distinguishes us. And this hope, greatly cushions us from the roller coaster ride so typical of those who are constantly placing their hope in some earthly temporal thing, only to be disappointed or disillusioned in some way or another time and time again. This hope graphically distinguishes us from the roller coaster hope of those in the world. This never changes. And the world's got their hope. The world has their hope in all these other kind of things. Some people have their hope in government. <laughs> Folly. Folly. God, give us just governments. A lot of people have their hope in, this is a big one, relationships. Relationships are wonderful. They can be extremely difficult and wonderful. You know, relationships are important. But they hope, you see. I mean, you listen to the music. No husband or wife could ever live up to that music. <laughs> you know, you guys, you, I'm sorry, guys, you cannot live up to that music. And don't enter marriage thinking that. <laughs> Intermarriage, by all means, okay, but, but, but don't let it be defined by the music, and, and some love songs are wonderful. I'm not against, all of me, okay? I'm not against all of that, but the world experiences this roller coaster up and down, and we all experience that to some degree. you know, if I could only get through college or, or if I could only get my business started, or if I could only have the right relationship, or if I could be cured of this physical disability or, or whatever. And it's a roller coaster up and down experience because all of those things that our hope is in are temporal and they're changing, but God doesn't change. God's promises doesn't change. The certainty of a new heavens and earth doesn't change. The certainty of sins forgiven and reconciliation with God doesn't change. The certainty of I'm adopted into God's family doesn't change. Justification doesn't change. It goes on and on. Yes. Jesus Christ is the same today, tomorrow, yesterday, tomorrow, and for more. He doesn't change. And the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back... Does not change. Right? So when that's your hope, you're different. You're different. Now, I want to show you how consistently the New Testament defines our hope as a certainty that the Lord Jesus is returning for us. Okay? Got to put that in there, you assurance doubters. The Lord Jesus is returning for us, for me. (laughs) Okay, all right, I'll say it. The Lord Jesus is returning for me. He's returning for the church. That's good. We have to have both. He's returning for His covenant people, the church. And that includes me. So He's also returning for me. Okay, we we, gotta, we got to have both. I want to show you that, that how Scripture just, this is the hope. Uh, Titus 2, right, let, let's flip to these passages. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 13. Titus through 11 through 13. This is a wonderful passage. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There. Isn't that great? We're living in this present age, but this present age is going to pass away. And when's it going to pass away? It's going to pass away at the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And what does he call that? That is our blessed hope. It's not just hope. It's a blessed hope. That's our hope. The second advent. Colossians 1 verse 27. Here's the hope. Paul's talking about the the, the gospel going to the Gentiles. And verse 25, that he became a minister according to the stewardship of God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. For you Gentiles, verse 26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There it is. Christ in you, the hope of this life? No. He is a hope for this life, but that's not the emphasis. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the final eschatological glory. Glory. And that's the mystery of the gospel that we Gentiles are plugged into that. Look at that. That's our hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That eschatological completion at the second event. When Jesus returns. That's our hope. 1 John. uh, We're not going in order here. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. This is the New Testament, hope. 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Amazing. I mean, you can't help but stop there. Me? Called a child of God? Are you kidding me? No. Really, you're not. Such a thing as possible, you, to be a child of God? Yeah, that's right. And what manner of love that is. That we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us. That's right. (laughs) They can't understand us. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Oh, we have a future, don't we? And it's more glorious. It hasn't even been revealed to us yet how glorious it is, John is saying. But we know that it's there. We know that it's there. Right? It has not been revealed Yet, what we shall be, but, and here's the confidence, but, here's the hope. We know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What is the hope? The hope is we know when he is revealed we shall see him and be like him. That's the hope. The certainty of that is the New Testament hope. We have no doubt when he comes we will be like him. And everyone who has that hope fixed on him purifies himself even now. It's a a bedrock of our sanctification. That's a whole other subject, but sanctification is often not taught correctly. This is a correct way to teach how you purify yourself. You see, if you don't have assurance, you need to work that out. Because these things are not going to operate. And anybody that gives you a gospel that doesn't give you assurance... Is a false gospel. Yeah, I I had an anger flash there. A, A gospel that does not. Give this hope and assurance. Is a false gospel. It is. And you'll never be sanctified. Unless you have that blessed hope. And if you do have it, you will be sanctified. What does the text say? Everyone who has this hope, what? Purifies himself. That's how the gospel works. Forgives us, reassures us, reassures us that we are the children of God. Thank you, John. Thank you, Paul. The gospel Assures us of all of those things. And the Holy Spirit brings it home. Experientially to us. Read Romans 8. And we have this confidence. This hope. This certainty. That's the New Testament hope. That we're called to defend. There's more passages than that. That's only three out of six. I can multiply more. They all have to do with the second advent. They tie this hope. To the second advent. That's our fundamental hope. So I won't, I won't read those others. You can read those. So that's so that's the hope that is in us, or at least should be. Now realize that the core of marshalling a reasonable defense of our hope is to defend Christ's second coming. Now we have to think about that. The core of defending our hope is to defend Christ's second advent. Correct? That's right. That's what our hope is. And that's what we have to defend. The unbeliever looks on and asks, Why are you so confident and secure regarding good things to come? Answer, My Lord and Savior is returning for me. That's why. That's why. There's there's no better answer. Why are you so confident in managing to go through this life like you do? Because my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is coming for me. That's right. That's what we are to defend. Now we've got to back up from that, but that's what we're defending. Give a defense for everyone who asks you of the reason, what? For the hope that is in you. Well, that's my hope. Jesus Christ is coming back for me. That's right. Why do you believe that? Well, I'd love to tell you why I believe that. (laughs) Okay? Not the least of which, he rose from the dead. Oh, that's right. And this hope is based on the resurrection. This second advent is based on the resurrection. And Peter says that in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says that very clearly there. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what he says in chapter 1. We're born again to this living hope and it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's our hope. And that's a cardinal doctrine, by the way. You deny the resurrection, you deny all of Christian hope. Okay? Sorry, liberals. Yeah. Why are you so confident about good things to come, about the future? My Lord and Savior is returning for me. That's why. Is that reasonable? Yes. Because... As Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again, what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's right. The gospel is our foundation. The resurrection is a foundation, foundational element of the gospel. Now, what if this hope isn't in you. You know, there's a time when this hope isn't in any of us. We're not born with this hope. We're not. So, we're all going to transfer, if we're Christians, sometime we're going to go from being born without God in the world, having no hope, okay? <laughs> we're going to be dead in trespassing and sin. We're all going to transfer sometime from having no hope to having this Christian hope. So, what if it isn't in you? Well, I, I ask... Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? You say, well, I don't know. Well, that's, that's a completely legitimate answer. I'm asking you about your experience, okay? I'm not asking you whether Jesus rose from the dead or not. I'm asking what you believe or not. So, so do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? You, well, I'm not sure. Well, okay, well, then start there. <laughs> if you don't have this hope, start there. Hey, think about the gospel. The gospel proclaims this man, Jesus, rose from the dead. You need to go to work on that. And you need to get it resolved in your mind. Whether this Jesus of Nazareth really rose from the dead or not. That's great. Go after it. Give you something to read. We'll talk about it. But, you know, don't don't try to jump over to this kind of hope that you see in your your Christian (laughs) co-workers or whatever... It starts by believing that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So you need to to work through that. So, well, what if you do believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead? What then? I don't have this hope, but I do believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead. What then? Listen to him. If you believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and you don't have this hope, open your Bible and read the Gospels. And listen to this man, Jesus, whom you believe rose from the dead. Okay? Just do that. Believe he rose from the dead. I want to have this hope. I don't have it. Listen to him. Okay? And what happens? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing concerning the word of Christ. And as you listen to him, you know what's going to happen? You're going to believe in him. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. That's right. So, then what about a a word to believers? New Testament believers were deeply convinced of two things. Jesus rose from the dead and He is coming again. They were deeply convinced of those two things. He rose from the dead and he's coming again. And it's powerful in the church fathers in the early centuries. You know, they're not the best doctrinal teachers. We can learn from them, we can learn a lot, but they are the best teachers on this subject of the living hope. And and, and you can see it just the passages I've read you from the New Testament. The hope we are defending is the return of Jesus Christ, his salvation of his people and his righteous judgment of the world and establishing a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness and part of that hope is do not avenge yourselves vengeance is mine that's part of our hope that the injustices committed in this world are going to be righted that's part of our eschatological hope brothers and sisters Okay, It absolutely is. He is going to establish righteousness at that second advent. And that's part of our hope. That's how we go through the things we go through. This hope transcends, this is my last point, this hope transcends all earthly hopes. It transcends all earthly hopes and I think it's a significant I speak of myself I think it's a significant weakness in American Christianity that our hope so often is not transcendent it's, it's just not and if we do have hope in the Lord our hope is about everything that he does here you notice that? I, I don't know, you, I want you to think about it our hope, I have hope, but what is this about? Well, everything that he does here. Everything that he does here. But this hope is transcendent from here. This hope is about what he's going to do when he returns. We need to have that first kind of hope. Great, you know. We have that hope about things and the gospel in this life. But that's got to be secondary It's not this New Testament hope if what Christ does in this life is your primary hope. That's not what's on the pages of this New Testament. What's on the pages of this New Testament is his second advent, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope there. That's what I mean by a transcendent hope, his return. And American Christians are very weak in this matter. That's my challenge to us and to myself. Let's pray. Lord, this is, these are wonderful things, Father, that you have caused us to be born again uh, to a living hope. Your commitment to save us and your son to return. To return. as a blessed hope. And that when he returns, he will complete his work of salvation in us. Lord, in the church, thank you. Indeed, in the whole cosmos. Lord, (laughs) in a new heavens and a new earth, all of this He will come again and do. Lord, help us keep this in mind. When you call us to suffer for a season, (laughs) Lord, help us to keep this in mind. When you call us to say no to the sins of our flesh, Help us to keep this glorious hope in mind, Lord. When, when we don't succeed, when 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 our hopes are shattered, when our earthly when our earthly disappointments fill our minds and our hearts, O Lord, help us not be like those ten spies. That had no hope, Lord. And they wanted to return, Lord, to Egypt. They wanted to return back to Egypt. Oh, God. Help us have this hope. So that we never want to return back to Egypt. Thank you, Lord, for the clarity of these things in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.